Well, hey, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. It's excited this morning to worship alongside all of you. Um, we're we're going to kick off this morning with one of my favorite hymns, one of my favorite songs, Come Thou Fount. I get to sing it. Uh, every night that I put my girls to bed, I, I sing this song to them. It's our favorite song to sing. And it's got this line in it. It says, I'm prone to wonder. And I know that that's been true about my life, maybe yours. So there's two things true, though. It's that I'm, I'm prone to wonder. That is indeed true. But the other thing that's true is that I'm, I'm never abandoned by the Lord. That my salvation is secure in Jesus. So even though I am prone to wander, I can rest in the righteousness of Christ, and, and we can celebrate that. And so we're going to do that this morning. And as we stand together and we sing these songs, let's celebrate God's goodness together. And come now, every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise and teach me something Lord your song sung by flaming tongues of the moment down to Let that be our prayer this morning. 
God will seal us. Church, you can have a seat. Check out this video. I'm Kent Martin. This is my wife, Terry. And we have the privilege of being part of the prayer team that's, that serves in the prayer room on Sunday morning. A young lady came to the prayer room after the service. She'd actually, she was international. She had been coming to um, learn English or listen to English. And as she came back, she was concerned about her family in the country where they are because COVID had broken out again and wanted us to pray with her about that. In the process of doing that, we uh, talked with her about whether she was a believer and follower of Jesus. And she told us then, she said, I know him here, but I don't know him here. And in that process, we, um, we shared the gospel with her that she could know Jesus in a personal way. And she asked us, she said, I want to pray. I want to do that. I want to know him. And uh, so she asked us to pray with her. And when we did that, she bowed her head and we prayed together. And when she lifted her head up, I'll never forget the look on her face because she had this huge smile. And she goes, oh, he's here. And um, she, after that, we'd met together and she's growing and um, in her walk with Jesus. And she's back in her country right now. So she had asked us to pray for her to share that with her family, that they, she wanted them to know Jesus too. On a particular Sunday morning, a young man and his wife <clears throat> made their way to the prayer room after the service. He came in, he was very, very anxious, very concerned, and he was facing a career job change, and his wife was expecting their first baby. He was very anxious. Uh, we processed some scriptures together, visited together, prayed together. At the end of the prayer, though, there was, there was still an anxiousness, a real concern. Uh, and so we visited some more, and we began to unwind his spiritual journey. And as he shared, he, he confessed that even though he had grown up in the church as a young child and, and attended church even to his young adulthood, that he had never placed his trust and faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life. So we stopped, we prayed again, discussed that, and when we finished, there was such a joy and peace. I never will forget the smile that came over that young man's face. We walked out of the prayer room together, and Terry and his wife were visiting outside the hallway. And when we came together, all four of us, I never will forget. I said, your husband has something to share with you. And he said, he looked at his wife with a big smile and said, I asked Jesus to be my savior today. And her eyes filled up with tears, and she began to say, I knew you would. I knew you would. I've been praying for you. That's just two of life change stories and God-connected stories within the body of fellowship. And that's good news, amen? That, that that's happening right across the hallway in this prayer room. Um, and, and we wanted to show you this video to, to let you know, and there's, there's more videos, there's way more stories happening um, in the prayer room. But we wanted to show this video um, to let you know about some of these stories. And then also, um, to let you know, this is, this is a, an area in which we need help in. We could, we could use more volunteers to do just what the Martins do. Um, and just, there's so many other families that serve, but, um, but in that prayer room, if you just wanna be available, um, we always look for a, a one man, one woman to be in that room at least, and, uh, and just to pray with people, just to empathize. You don't have to have all the answers to, to the difficult questions you may be asked. You can point. Uh, them to uh, the pastors, but just to, just to empathize, to pray, to point people to Jesus. If that's something that you're interested in, an area you're interested in serving, uh, come let me know after service, or you can go to the back booth, um, let someone know, and we'd love to get you connected uh, to 
serve in that area. Well, church, let's continue to worship together this morning. Let's stand together and let's sing some, some, some more songs. Sing worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever be we live for you
again. Church, it's something that is immovable. It's the love of God. It's unwavering for us. It's seen so clearly in how he's pursued us, even in our sinfulness. And so let's take a moment this morning, church, to confess our need for a Savior. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Just like we sang, the Savior has come. He's come in the form of Jesus, an almighty Savior, the Son of God. And he's given his life. He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death be the savior for us to abolish our sins to cast them as far as the east is from the west they're forgotten in the eyes of God not because of anything that we have done but because of Christ and him alone and so we get to celebrate this morning with some good news so church believe the good news Jesus died for us Jesus rose for us Jesus intercedes for us in him we are a new creation in him we have forgiveness of sin in him we have a savior to god be the glory forever and ever amen
this out. The line of Suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Ryan and team, and uh, good morning, church family. Uh, my name's Clark. If I haven't met you, um, would love to meet you. And so some of you are new with us this morning, and you found us in the middle of our series in uh, Peter's letter to those who are following Jesus in a place that is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, so we're excited that you've chosen to worship with us. If you have questions about fellowship or like more information, um, we've got folks in the foyer at the information booth, <clears throat> at the community booth. We'd love to get you connected. Um, as, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be working through verses 8 through 22 this morning. I wanted to make you aware of a couple of really cool things that have come upon us as a church here in Fayetteville um, as we try to steward God's blessing in our life um, as a church during this season and as we anticipate the fall. The first one is that during our Mission Vision series in late August, every year we take three or four Sundays and we celebrate our mission statement and what that means for our church and our families and our community and globally and our partnerships. And we're going to be doing that again this year. Um, on August the 20th and the 27th, we're going to ask our Eastsiders, however you would define that, 
to join us over at the Hill School on Crossover next to the, uh, the Williams Center. On Sunday morning, two services at 9 and 1045 on those two Sundays. And we're going to celebrate God's work in our families and our community on the east side. And, uh, and we're also, it'll be a live teacher. Won't be a video venue. Be live work. Ryan and I will be there that first Sunday, the 20th. And um, that's also going to help us not just celebrate what God's doing as we grow, but the 20th and the 27th here in a college town in Fayetteville, Arkansas, it's pretty wild and crazy. And we love that. And so it'll allow our parking lot to breathe a little bit and be a great host for those who are coming for the first time. And so I just wanted, there'll be more details coming, but I wanted to make you aware of that. That won't be an all semester experience, but that'll be a couple of Sundays um, during that series. Also, as you noticed, I, meant, I said the word or the phrase 1045, all right? On August 13th here, we are transitioning to our second service beginning at 1045, um, one of the things that we've learned as we try to um, navigate who God brings our way is that you cannot park if you do not have a space, right? And some of you have experienced that. It's been a true test of your character. And you need to confess that right now. And so this allows us time to, for the children to transition, for families to leave from the nine o'clock and to be a better host. We do have seats in the room most Sundays, and we know we can accommodate those on the wall as well, but this allows us to be a great host in that space too, and so that'll change on August the 13th. Uh, our service will be at 9 and 1045, and then you can see the beginning of our college service. They're going to be working through the book of Acts this fall, and so I would invite you if you're a student in here, or if you'd like to be a part of that college experience to consider that 7 p.m. experience as part of your church experience. Um, well, like I said, we're back in First Peter here, and we're right in the middle of our teaching as we work through this, um, this summer, and um, we've learned um, a lot about identity and what it means to submit well, and we're going to continue in that um, train of thought as we consider what it means to suffer well uh, this morning and how to go about doing that in a God-honoring way. And as we get started, I just want to remind us, this is our big idea this morning, Jesus's victory sustains the exile in suffering. If you remember a few weeks ago, I reminded us that our core identity statements as followers of Jesus, that we're created in the image of God, we're in Christ, we have taken on his identity in his death, burial, and his resurrection. And then Peter calls them, his audience, elect exiles, chosen, special, called out, set apart, elect exiles, yet not home. They've had to figure out how to find their home in Jesus. And so they're elect exiles. And so that's who he's speaking to this morning. And just right out of the gate, just one caveat I think we need to acknowledge. There's a lot of different kinds of suffering when it comes to your own individual experience, when it comes to suffering in the world. There's economic or material type suffering, a financial hardship that some of you maybe find yourself in this morning. There's emotional or trauma that you've, uh, some type of emotional trauma that you've been through, that's a kind of suffering that you carry with you. Um, you may be experiencing significant physical pain, and that's a very real suffering that some of us in the room are navigating here this morning. And then some of you are just, you have a heavy heart. It's the pain over a wayward child or significant loss, and there's this hovering cloud that is causing you just deep emotional 
suffering. Based on our clues in 1 Peter, the type of suffering that he's specifically speaking to that we're going to address this morning is the suffering due to their testimony for the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay? They've taken on the name of Jesus. They've become his followers. And because of that truth in their life, they are now experiencing the consequences of what it means to follow Jesus in a dark culture. And that actually may include some emotional trauma. It could mean that someone's ostracized from their social community, from their family. It could mean that they're going through physical pain as they experience some type of persecution there. And it also may mean ultimately that they could experience death um, because of the suffering and the persecution they're under, which reminds me, we were in a meeting actually this week and um, uh, one of uh, the folks in the meeting was telling a story about one of the global workers, and, and uh, her husband was in a country where if you're found with a Bible, it's certain death. And so not to take this thing to the extreme early in the teaching, but what I walked away with is, I want to beg you to read your Bible. They're found with a Bible, there's certain death. Can we read our Bible? Can we have the free? We have the freedom to do that, unhindered anywhere we go in America. And I just had this, this pastoral thought, God, we, could, could we just read our Bibles? And so I'm begging every person in this room uh, to seize your freedom and read your Bible. And so if, every, if you were asleep, you're awake now. Okay. This is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this, and there's three significant sections here, and we're just going to unpack the character of suffering in the life of the exile, the witness of suffering in the life of the exile, and then the victory of suffering as we look to Jesus, our ultimate victory. We're going to pick it up here in verse 8. Finally, all of you. He's taken a little bit of an excursus the last few weeks, and he's uh, addressed specific people to submit to government. Um, uh, to, for slave servants to submit to their masters in their household. And then last week, um, a unique situation where wives are being asked to submit to their husbands, many of them unbelieving. He's addressed specific groups of people. Um, he's stepped out of that, and he's back into addressing the whole church, if you will, here. Finally, all of you, plural, have this. Consider these five characteristics, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so I wanted to acknowledge here at least, uh, I, it's so ironic to me, the person who's writing this, his name is Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, he's a, impetuous, he had an anger issue, he was a challenger, his foot was in his mouth a lot. He actually tried to, he actually swiped someone's ear off thinking a revolution was about to begin in the Passion Week of Jesus, okay? That's the person who's writing this, the I'll never deny you coward, but now restored by Jesus, filled with God's spirit. And it's interesting the shepherd language that he now uses to communicate truth and take care of people. Only God can do this, and he can do that in your life. To. He is a life change story. So church, be this kind of church. And we've got five words and phrases here. They're not exhaustive. You can find other lists of 
the scriptures of the type of person you need to be in suffering, but um, he mentions these, and then he builds it out by quoting Psalm chapter 34, a little section there, and he says this, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So right out of the gate, I want to ask you, as one of your pastors, how are we doing this morning with some of these qualities in your specific situation, in your response to suffering for the name of Christ in your context, are these true of you? What would your spouse say? What would your children say? What would your mother or father say? What would your roommate say? Your supervisor at work? Unity of mind. Like-minded, harmonious. Is that true of you? Sympathy. Empathetic. Do you have a a sense of brotherly love about you? Love in the scriptures is sacrifice for the benefit of another. Most made manifest in the life, death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, just that kind of love, tender heart, compassionate, kind, a humble mind. You know who you are in light of who God is. You esteem others as better than yourself. You walk in humility. You have a clean tongue. You're repentant. You seek peace and pursue it. You're known as a peacemaker. We'll see a couple other of these later in verse 15. You're gentle and respectful as you endure Suffering in your workplace, is this true of you? And your responses, your posts on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram, are these true of you? Do you suffer for the name of Jesus? I feel your tension. How can we hold passionately to our convictions while passionately being this type of person that we're called to be? Is this true of you? your children's athletic events or extracurricular activities. Take it up a notch there. As a cultural commentator, as we stare down another election season, this fall and next spring and through the summer, uh, will these things be true of you? As a neighborhood POA participant, maybe with family members, even during the holidays that you disagree with, I would encourage you to make this list a prayer list for you. Ask God to give you the grace through his spirit to grow in these qualities. Well, he goes on in verse 9, and there's a a short imperative here, a command, and there's a word that he uses. He says, if you're going to be this kind of person, it's going to manifest itself in one who blesses those who persecute them. Uh, that word bless, it could mean a couple of things, and it could mean both, but it's, it's actually the word that where we get our word eulogize, which is we'll celebrate that when we're celebrating a, a lost loved one. We'll speak a good word about them. We'll speak true things of them. It also could mean to invoke the blessing of God on someone, okay? Remember who the audience or the recipient of this blessing is. They're the one is causing you to suffer. They're your persecutor. He says, bless or speak a good word about them. I want to quote a New Testament scholar that many of you have read. 
His name is Jesus. Okay? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Hear the good news, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On whose account? On the account of Jesus, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He goes on to say, and he gives them, it's very specific here. You've heard that it's said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sin rains rain on the just and the unjust. Bless. You're going to be the kind of person that has this character and suffering. What's going to come out of your mouth and your behavior and your prayers for your enemies, for those who persecute you, for those who are causing you suffering for the name of Jesus. This is our response. Now, I think it would be instructive for us to just make sure we understand a little bit about who our real enemy is. I think sometimes we get confused about that a little bit and what that means. Um, you can see on the screen, I've just got a couple of sections there. Uh, one is we need to understand that ultimately our enemy is Satan or what we'd call the devil. In fact, um, later in Peter's writing, he says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. Our true enemy, and we learned this in Ephesians 6 as well in our study um, in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, that there are principalities and powers that are unseen, that are working against the forces of what God's trying to accomplish in the world, okay? So we have an unseen enemy. That's our real enemy. Now, from a personification standpoint, we understand that that can play itself out in individuals, in humans, which, by the way, in most cases, those folks, they don't have a new heart in Jesus, okay? They're without him, specifically in our study in 1 Peter, some of these enemies were maybe a Roman official who was treating someone unjustly. It could have been um, an unjust master who treated their slave in an unjust way. It could have been someone in, in your family that became your persecutor. Um, and then we also see in other parts of the New Testament, it was actually religious officials who were self-righteous that were persecuting new followers of Jesus all through the book of Acts. It was actually religious people. Let's just remind ourselves that those are the people that God's asked us to pray for. And hopefully how we bless them is we want to pray for and invoke the blessing of God that he would grant them salvation and make them new in Christ. And so let's remember who our true enemy is. And then how would we bless? You can see here on the screen. We can pray for them. As Jesus said, we can speak well of them. We can serve them. This type of character is the type of character that would create a life of every person in here, if we were to do this, that would demand an explanation. In fact, as I was reading this, I was like, I, I, I don't, Lord, I, this is outrageous. Yes. And it's actually impossible. For someone to do this and make this your lifestyle and be this kind of person, it's a supernatural act of God to make you into a brand new person. And some of you are in that process right now. And it demands 
and explanation. And so we also have the witness of the exile and suffering. So follow his argument here. We'll pick it up in verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, your persecutor. Don't fear them. Don't fear their threats is what some of your versions say. Don't fear what they fear. See, they fear man. You have no reason to fear man. But why? In your heart, honor, revere, lift up Christ. Set him apart as holy. He is the true emperor. He's the true Caesar. He's the true king of the world. Live as if that's true. Always being prepared, being ready to make a defense. That word defense is where we get our word apologetic, to defend the hope and to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The exile, the elect exile, is not motivated by the fear of man because they have Christ as their ultimate authority. Don't fear what they fear. And what we see here is our witness is not just in our character, in our lifestyle, but it moves here to a verbal proclamation of our big why and why Jesus is worthy. It's a reminder that as we live lives that demand an explanation, we must be ready and prepared on the tip of our lips to speak the name of Jesus and to be a witness to him. Okay? It's both lifestyle and verbal. So if you've ever wondered which is more important, yes, they both matter. And, they bo- and if you're going to be verbal about it, you best be surrendering to the Holy Spirit to create this character that can back up the life change that you're telling everyone is so great. All right? But both are part of this experience, both lifestyle and your verbal witness. So what is the explanation? He gives it here. And outside of Romans 3 and Romans 8 and Romans 5, this is probably one of the most concise definitions of the centrality of the gospel message in the New Testament. This verse here in verse 18, for Christ. What's your motive, elect exile and suffering? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh made alive in the spirit. How can we not fear? How can we give a defense? How can we walk in hope? Because this verse is true. Consider those phrases, for Christ suffered once for sins. This speaks directly to his suffering on behalf of our sin, and we call that, it's a a big word I know, the atonement. It's a covering, specifically It's a blood covering or a sacrifice that pays for, covers our sin. And in doing so, that payment that Jesus accomplished on your behalf and on my behalf, it turns away the wrath of God from us and it invites him. And Jesus literally brings together those who were once enemies with God into friendship or sonship and daughtership with God. That's what he does in the atonement. This is good news for us. Substitutionary atonement, the righteous for the unrighteous. He walked in this perfect character that we speak of. He verbally, appropriately spoke and proclaimed the good news. 
And he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live in our place that he might bring us to God. It's the words where we get the idea of reconciliation. Two parties at enmity being brought together. Substitutionary, once for all, reconciling, wrath absorbing, resurrecting. Now, I do find it interesting who he's speaking to, okay? These are people that believe this message. They've affirmed in their heart that they're followers of Jesus and that this is true of them. What is he reminding them of? He's asking them to lean into this truth as motive for their suffering, but I also think it's a great reminder for us that if you're going to keep growing in Christ, you never graduate from the essential tenets of the gospel message. Every one of us in the room, we roll out of bed with a tendency towards being self-righteous. The gospel undermines this. So as I've often said here and in my friendships and small groups, we've got to be great at preaching the gospel to ourselves. He wrote this to believers. It's a message to those who are outside of Christ, but it's a motivation for believers to grow in their holiness. And so he begins to speak of this victory that is birthed in the suffering that he went through on our behalf. And then he moves into this little section here, and there's some... um, uh, there's some interesting dynamics as we consider the question, where was Jesus? Where did he go when he died on the cross and before he resurrected? Wouldn't you like to know? Let me point you to sermon notes. <laughs> Garland and I spent a little extensive time uh, this last week kind of unpacking the different views of that. But for our purposes This morning, you can see there in verse 19 in the language, it says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Part of the vindication or the proclamation that Jesus is making through his death If you just let the text speak for itself, he proclaimed to the spirits that were in prison. I believe he's speaking about those spirits of those who died that rejected the warning of Noah, that are waiting, even now, their judgment by God, and Jesus preached victory and vindication over sin and evil to them, right? Seems to be the most plain reading of the text. Now, there are some interesting views on that. Like I said, you can hear about them on sermon notes. Some think that this is where we get the idea with some other passages that Jesus descended into hell um, or to Hades or to Tartarus, uh, whatever word you want to use there. Um, There's a lot of different perspectives, but uh, that seems to be the most plain reading for our purposes this morning. But the idea is vindication or victory. He goes on to say that this rescue or this victory, this proclamation, um, And he alludes to Noah. He gives us, if you're a reader then, you would understand the narrative of Noah and what God was doing there in judgment and rescue. And then he likens it to our New Testament understanding of baptism, which corresponds to this, he says, that now saves you. Again, an interesting way to phrase this, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of of Jesus. So I think it's, it is, and we talk about this some on the Sermon Notes podcast as well, but I think it is necessary for us to understand just our simple distinction related to what we teach here about baptism 
at Fellowship Fayetteville. We believe that baptism is an outward act. Oh, it's, a, it's a walk or a following and obedience to what Christ has commanded us to do that represents something God has already done because of our faith, our trust, our reliance in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in his death and burial and resurrection on our behalf. We've identified with him. Baptism was not just a Christian thing in the first century. People that would follow other teachers, they would identify in baptism with the person they were following. This was a way that they identified with Jesus. We have the picture, as we often get to celebrate here, of us being buried with Christ in baptism, right? And then raised to walk in newness of life. And we know that the water itself does not remove the dirt, if you will, in the sin of our heart. It's a symbol. There are some church traditions, and some of you may have been part of those, that would teach that it's belief in Jesus and that, that there is a spiritual regenerative thing that happens when a person is actually baptized. Okay? And some of you maybe are in or you've grown up in that faith tradition. We don't teach um, regeneration through baptism here at Fellowship. And so Garland and I unpack that a little bit and the wording here. You can go to... Um, Titus 3, Acts 2, Mark 16, those are other passages that seem to speak into that as well. But for our purposes this morning, uh, when we consider the whole of Scripture, we feel like that faith in Jesus is sufficient because of what he's done on our behalf to rescue us. That being said, Noah, judgment, rescue, a wooden boat, and water. Jesus, through a wooden cross, offers rescue. And in baptism, we identify with him in victory. And then finally, in verse 22, you can see there, how does this end up? He's gone into heaven, past tense, and is at the right hand of God. Present tense, this is where he is right now with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. It's interesting, we've come full, um, we, we, we close in the loop on this idea that we're to submit to him as he submitted and through his suffering, he will experience victory. And as it stands right now, he is over and above all authorities and powers and all, has all dominion over those. And we can rest in that victory. And so for us, the elect exile, Jesus' victory, this good news sustains us in suffering. And to walk in this is a gracious gift from God. And it is... Our victory. And I want to close with this. I felt like two weeks ago that I sold suffering and submission short. All right. I feel like I treated it, and I'm just confessing this. You're my church family. Don't tell anybody outside of here, right? Only the ones that are at the 1030. All right. Um, I treated it as this hesitatingly, just this, this, this necessary evil. All right. I want to let the words of Peter and the words of Jesus speak into my miss, all right? This is what he says is the good news about suffering. Jesus, rejoice, be glad, blessed, you'll receive an inheritance. He'll give you a life to love. He'll allow you to see good days. His eyes will be on you. His ears will be listening to you. You'll inherit the kingdom. You'll experience the fullness of sonship. Celebrate! It's victory! 
in suffering. This is good news. I want to call you into that. My brothers and sisters in here this morning, we invite you into joy. The joy of suffering, to be formed into the image of Jesus and to celebrate the victory that comes with that suffering. In our suffering, we, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, in Washington County, we've got an invitation to walk in the character of Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. And this is a blessing to proclaim verbally the hope of Jesus in this, to embrace the good life, the good life that is suffering for the name of Jesus. And we can do this because he walked on this planet in your place and in my place, lived a perfect life so that we could be made right with God. He lived a life himself that demanded an explanation. So I want to leave us with this this morning. For the follower of Jesus in here this morning, I want to invite you into this, and I want you to preach this good news to yourself. I don't know your specific situation or circumstance that you find yourself in, if you're being maligned at work, inside your family, falsely accused, um, because you're living real character out in the situation that you find yourself in. But I want you to take on this idea of joy and blessing. I want you to rejoice in it. Live in it. Don't just try to get through it, okay? For the person in here, that this is all quite strange to you right now. That I would invite you into joy and to suffer because of the one who has suffered on our behalf. For those of you that you've never identified with the person of Jesus and what he's accomplishing on your behalf, I would ask you this morning to cast yourself upon the good mercy of God. In his son, he gave up, watched him suffer, poured out his wrath on him for your sin, for my sin, so that you could be brought to God and in relationship. So as we close, I want to just take a minute. Everybody close your eyes, and I'm not going to have you come down the altar or lift a hand or anything like that. But in your heart, if you find yourself in that space, um, talk to him right now. In the name of Jesus, thank him for what he's done through the suffering of his son. Acknowledge that you've missed righteousness. That you've sinned and you're owning it right now. You've rebelled. There's a lot of words we could use. Use your word. Disobedience. And with your heart, receive him as Lord. He's the true and better emperor, the king. Acknowledge his rescue of you. Thank him for making you a child of the king. Well, Father, thank you for my church family this morning, and thank you for 
the good grace that is suffering in our life. We would never sign up for that class, and yet this is, this is the class. This is our degree that you've called us to. This is how we're formed in the image of Jesus. This is how we celebrate victory. We're following in the footsteps of our Savior. Give us the grace to embrace it in character with our verbal witness. We walk in victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond and worship this morning. Oh, come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow, bends the spear, and tells the wars to cease. Oh, mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. Lord of hosts, you lead us with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the God who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. Oh God who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. Lord of hosts, you lead us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the
Regardless of what we try to set on the throne at times, what we try to elevate above everything around us, you are the only one worthy to sit on the throne. You are the king above all kings. So God, would you continue to transform our hearts? God, cause us to bend the knee to you and to you alone as we grow to know you more meditate on your kindness, your love, your faithfulness to us. May those things stir our affections for you. May we respond in worship what you deserve. We love you. Church, before we leave this morning, I'd like us to say this benediction over each other. Let's say it together as a church body. May the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Church, there's a prayer available in the prayer, prayer room through these doors to your right. There's communion available in there as well. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.